0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Chuck Waterfield to the show today. He is an expert in microfinance and has been in microfinance for over 25 years. Now, I became interested in microfinance when I first found out about the work of Dr. Muhammad Yunus of the Grameen Bank. I became fascinated with that model, and in 2003, Pre-Nobel Prize, I interviewed Dr. Muhammad Yunus for an hour. Now, at that time, I want you all to know I wasn't on the air. I wasn't an official broadcaster and Dr. Yunus took my call. It was a beautiful interview. And one of the many things I learned was that the interest rate at that time to the borrowers was 14%. I didn't understand why it was 14%. And actually talking about interest rates could be many, many hours on the phone. I don't know if the listeners know, but Dr. Mohamed Yunus was removed from the Grameen Bank. One of the arguments is the interest rates. But I have called in Chuck Waterfield today because he is an expert in microfinance, and he started microfinance institutions in Haiti and Bolivia in the 1980s and 90s. He was also the microfinance director for MEDA and CARE International, He is very well known for a planning software that he developed called Microfin, which is a standard planning software used worldwide in microfinance. He is also on the board of Columbia University in the international affairs area. He's going to talk to us today about the inside of microfinance about interest rates. So it is my great pleasure and honor to welcome Chuck Waterfield to its Rainmaking Time this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kim. I first heard about you from the Grameen Foundation. I was on a teleconference call a few weeks ago, and your name was mentioned as one of the few people who really has checked into the question of interest rates, understands it in a microfinance context And I thought we should open talking about that because now I know that the interest rate for Grameen, at least, is 20%, and some people have a major issue with it. Talk to us.
1: Wow, okay. Uh, We're going to dive right into the most, um, um, uh, one of the most important and probably the most um, confusing areas of all of microfinance, and that is the price that we charge to the poor. Um, One, and Dr. Dr. Yunus and I'm, had a, a very fundamental key meeting on that very point almost exactly three years ago, April of um, two thousand and eight um, where he where I proposed that we start a global organization that um, collects and co- and cal- collects calculates and publishes the true prices we 're charging in microloans around the world. Um, we had his uh, full support on that, and i 'm currently the CEO of an organization called Microfinance Transparency, and we are working in over 20 countries around the world right now collecting the true prices. So, for example, when you say Grameen is charging 20%, that's data that we've collected and, and calculated and, and published on our website. Until we did that, um, nobody nobody really knew for sure what the price was uh, that even Grameen was charging. So, uh, it's very important, um, again, I think philosophically and ethically that we, um, communicate true prices. Uh, I live in the United States and we, for over 40 years, have had, um, protection, uh, through an, an act that was called the Truth and Lending Law and that requires anyone lending us money at the time, at, at least uh, at the time of signing the contract, to tell us the, the true price. Calculate as an APR an annual percentage rate, so there 's lots of ways that finance institutions around the world, <clears throat> and certainly not just microfinance so we borrowed all of this, uh, but there 's certainly ways that you can make a product um, alone look cheaper than it is, and it 's only through truth and lending uh, conversions to transparent pricing or true pricing that um, that the consumer can really compare. And contrast different loan products that they 're being sold, and determine what the true price is
0: when you talk about the true prices i 'm confused yeah what do you mean
1: yeah it's it, this is um, I, I would um, I would say sadly, I think that um, understanding the price of a loan is one of the most confusing things we we 're consumers we buy lots and lots of things you know we go in and we buy a cup of coffee from a coffee shop, we go buy lunch, we go buy. Um, you know um, um, some consumer goods um, and we see the price and we know exactly the price that the price is transparent, and that we know um, we get a good and we give a given amount of money in return now um, we assume that buying a loan is the same thing um, and we assume that when we're told um, an interest rate that that's Something of a comparable that—that's an actu- accurate measure of the price. Um, it isn't. We um, again, microfinance didn't invent any of this, but there's different ways of calculating interest rates. Um, there are uh, very common to put additional fees, like um, an initiation fee at the beginning. So we can say, well, we're loaning you, you know, hundred dollars, but we take out two percent as a as an initiation fee, and then we charge you an interest rate of. Let's say, well, you know, you were using Bangladesh figures. Let's say we're using an interest rate of twelve percent. Okay. Now, um, I, the consumer, then think, well, okay, two percent and twelve percent, and I try to figure out uh, how to combine that into one. You know, what's the total price? Okay. Um, that's what an APR actually does. Is it com- combines two or more numbers, cost components, into the equivalent of an of of a declining balance interest rate, and I need to stress the concept of declining balance because many, many places um, around the world, uh, microfinance loans are not, the interest rate is not even calculated on declining balance. In the United States, um, or most commercial finance around the world, the interest rate is calculated on the balance you still owe, and that's logical, that's textbook, Uh, very common in microfinance, um, is to charge what we call a flat interest rate. And I'll, I'll just I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you a few seconds on this because it's very fundamental. Like let's say that Bangladesh institution says we charge you 12% a year, but it's flat, okay? What that means is I'm loaning you $100. Let's say it's for a year. But as you pay back the $100 every week or every month, I am still charging you interest on the original $100, even though you owe me considerably less so I'm charging you interest on money you no longer have. Um, that results in a higher interest payment and when you convert that into a declining balance interest rate, um, it's almost double.
0: So the devil's in the details, right
1: Chuck? yeah yeah exactly it's sort of and again um, you know lenders, marketers <laughs> marketers of lending products, Uh, figured out a long time ago, many, many years ago, that, um, okay, people want to know what the interest rate is. So uh, across the street, they're saying 20%, okay, 20%, and they're calculating declining balance. Like, well, in fact, guess what? I'm giving you real Grameen numbers. Grameen charges 20% declining balance, okay? And across the street from Grameen, um, any of the more than 100, every single other MFI in Bangladesh, Um, that's of any scale at all Uh, uh, over 100 are all universally charging flat interest and they would be charging across the street either 12 percent or 15 percent those are the two common numbers in Bangladesh you decide are you going to charge 12 or 15 Grameen charges 20 and everyone else is charging 12 or 15 so it looks like Grameen's more expensive but dig into the details a twelve percent flat rate you 're you're double charging it 's almost double The real APR when you run that through a calculator is almost double, so it 's it's almost twenty four percent and the fifteen percent rate is almost thirty. so you have three institutions, one saying we have the low low price of twelve another one saying we we have the common price of fifteen, and poor Grameen is charging twenty but the true price the transparent price, the truth in lending, the APR whatever you want to call it, is really Grameen's the lowest with twenty, and then you have twenty four and then you have thirty. Okay? Uh
0: very clear.
1: Yeah. It's- very
0: clear. And the devil really is in the details because the deception is a contractual one. The borrower doesn't know. I bet each borrower was never explained these distinctions when they went to the twelve and fifteen percent flat rate thinking it's lower.
1: Right. And and um and here's here this is actually again uh, sort of um it's convenient that we're talking that you started by talking about the Grameen because this is an excellent case study. Um, 1996, every one of those hundreds of institutions, they all charged interest on a declining balance. Okay, and um, and in 1996, a, a consultant went in and said, um, "Here, this is what we do in the rest of the world. We uh, we often charge flat, and you can make twice as much income." without raising the nominal interest rate. You can still say you're charging 12%, but you can make almost 24%. So the very first institution switched to flat, and within weeks, a few more switched to flat, and within a year, everyone, including Grameen, had switched to flat interest. Because here's the reality, is that if you're you're charging 20, and everyone else is charging 12, um, it's hard to explain <laughs> that you're really cheaper. 20 is cheaper than 12. That's, a, that's almost like a, um, you might as well just give up, right? <laughs> if if uh, nobody understands the details, nobody asks the questions, they look at the big letters on the window or in the, in the advertisements. Uh, loans at 12%. And, you know, and we could say, oh, our loans at 20% are cheaper than their loans at 12%. Trust us doesn't work, right?
0: It seems to me that one of the things Dr. Yunus did is he built an institution based on trust. He built protocols and processes and a whole different organism of bank and banking system. So why wasn't that part of, let's say, the educational process to explain that to a borrower?
1: Well, um, again, again, this is an interesting um, example case study. Uh, Grameen was, back in 96, um, Grameen was one of those that switched over to flat and they were kind of in that that common practice they, and and to some degree uh, i i would argue um strong, strongly that it's not correct but um the 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 hundred or so institutions that if everyone's charging flat our numbers are comparable and so it's just as good as as uh giving a true price you know that flat comparing flat to flat is it allows the consumer to see who's cheaper is, is what's argued, but it's, it's actually um, far from correct, okay? So now here's, so Grameen, Grameen was kind of got pulled, we call it the downward spiral. Everyone's doing transparent pricing and the first institution starts to hide their price through interest just different interest rate methods or adding fees or other tricks that we <laughs> that we know and practice in microfinance. And then... As soon as they start, as soon as the first one starts to hide their price, then others start to hide their price until you're the last one not hiding your price and all your clients leave because you're too expensive. So Grameen got sucked down into that, 90, 1997, they, they reverted back. And as I said, and this is sort of, I think this remarkable and um, admirable, impressive, Grameen was, is, is the only one to switch back to declining balance. Nobody else has done it yet in Bangladesh. Grameen's the only one. And some might argue that they're paying, suffering the consequences because now they look more expensive than they, than the others, when in fact they're not, um, being a leader, um, sometimes, sometimes has, um, uh, again, uh, uh, painful consequences. Now Grameen did the, did this conversion, right? Um, Partly, partly, um, in, in, in with the initiative of, of of you know of supporting transparent pricing around the world. I mean, Microfine's Transparency again, Yunus was one of our very first endorsers. Uh, has written um, letters of endorsement for us. Um, that informi- you know, he's a, he's a I, uh, philosophically a strong believer in transparent pricing. Sees Grameen was sort of trapped into non-transparent pricing. So they 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 changed all their pricing system and as our report points out, um, we were pretty stunned. This report's about 4 or 5 months ago and it's available on our website. Um Grameen of all that we've we've uh, we've researched over 400 institutions around the world, Grameen has the most transparent price, the most clear, consistent um, um Sensitive, uh, that's the wrong adjective, but, um, 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 supportive pricing system of any institution in the microfinance world that we've, that we've studied of over 400. Um, they really calculate, um, an accurate price, an honest price, um, and they communicate that truly to their clients. And that gets back to what you were asking about, you know, the Grameen would believe in, in um, communicating to their clients and educating their clients. And, and um, I, I believe they do both. I'm not sure. Um, I don't have firsthand evidence of exactly what education methods they use with their clients. But the intent is there. They are, they are showing their, um, their true price to clients and, and, and trying to, I believe, educate them on how to use that pricing information to decide, should I borrow? and How much should I borrow? And who should I borrow from? because those are very important questions um, in, in, for any, any, anybody of, our, of any income level. Should I be borrowing money? Uh, how much should I borrow, and what's the cost, and is that cost affordable? And in microfinance, we have um, um, done poorly at giving our clients um, the necessary information to make good decisions. And so in a number of countries, we're suffering consequences. We, we see over-indebtedness. We see clients borrowing too much. We see clients making bad decisions. And um, and and an industry that was created to um, universally help the poor has um, a, growing, them? a spotty record where um, some percentage of our clients are worse off after loan than, than before we came to, quote-unquote,
0: help them. This is going to sound like a very loaded question, but it's really in my heart to ask you. Do you feel that the central banking relationship to Grameen and other microfinance institutions that weren't exactly Grameen but they were microfinance oriented were influenced poorly by the banking institutions almost co-opted contractually
1: um we're working with um, with the regulators and central banks in in over a dozen countries and we um, i haven't seen anything like uh, like a um like what you're describing, it, it may possibly happen in, in Bangladesh. In fact, we don't have a we don't have a relationship with the central bank there, so I don't know if that is something that's happening in Bangladesh. But I, I have my doubts. Um, um, microfinance is still such a very small. Like you know, my, the question goes through my mind is why would the commercial banks feel threatened or want to um, you know use uh, behind the scenes measures to uh, harm the microfinance industry. Microfinance is still, even in, Bongo- in place like Bangladesh, it's a small niche, a very small percentage of the market share. Um, the, the banks, um, if they, if, you know, the big banks, if they get involved in microfinance, it's almost more like a, a token, feel good, good image thing to do with three percent of your. Um, total portfolio. 97% of your portfolio is still where it always was. Maybe 3% goes into micro loans. It's still very, 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 very small.
0: What, for example, do you think really happened with the Grameen Bank such that Dr. Yunus was removed from it? What is your understanding of what has happened?
1: I mean, well, the motives. uh, The motives from everything I've read and everybody I've talked to, it's purely... Again, you know, our perception is you know none of this is, can be argued as fact. But it's it's a it's a political battle between the prime minister and Yunus. it it none of it none of it has any evidence of being grounded in, uh, Grameen being um, you know um, uh, harming the poor or Yunus um, exploiting the poor and getting rich off the poor. If anything, um, uh, you know, let's let's go back to those numbers. Uh, okay, one. Uh, the the interest rate they charge is the lowest in Bangladesh. If the prime minister is going to get upset at some MFIs, there's uh, 99 other MFIs she should be much more upset with. Uh, profits. Are they profiting off the poor? Well, 96% of the shares of Grameen are owned by the clients. Any profits uh, belong to the clients, except for the 4% that are, that are, uh, of the shares that are owned by, guess who, the government. How many shares does Mohammed Yunus... Own zero, none of the profits go to Mohammed Yunus. his salary is a combined total salary, including living costs um, uh, per year nine thousand u s dollars a year that 's in Grameen documents that, um, that I pulled out um, a couple of months ago well, out of curiosity meanwhile you 've got next door in India you have SKS doing IPOs and foreign investors. Taking home hundreds of millions of dollars, and the CEO Vikram Akula, um, taking home hundreds of millions of dollars, <laughs> and uh, through shares that you know he privately owns, you've got, and that's considered sort of a, um, by some, a success of the modernization of microfinance where investors are making hundreds of millions of dollars of profits off the poor. In Grameen, no investors, no individuals are making even hundreds of dollars, let alone hundreds of millions of dollars off of the poor. So of of any institution that does, I mean, there's certainly institutions out there that sort of deserve to be scrutinized and uh, and, and many and some are slinging mud at some institutions. But Grameen is about, uh, you know, is about, I, I have never, I've never, I'm not seen a cleaner institution, <laughs> a more well-intentioned institution. Um, carrying an institution that works for its clients. None of this balance, uh, you know, again, here's something that we talk about, in friends. So we're trying to find that balance between being a business and being. Um, of social a, benefit. A social, uh, so, work socially for the clients. So like, let's take SKS. I don't want to pick on them, but, you know, it's one that we all kind of know about. Again, in India, it's the largest one in India. They've got five, five million clients or so, um, you know, and they say, well, you know, we've got 5 million women that come and borrow from us and we're helping those women. Yeah, we made hundreds of millions of dollars of profit off those women, but win-win, okay? Comportamos in Mexico, a little little more extreme. They made many hundreds of, you know, made $2 billion in profit off loans to women and the interest rates in Mexico are over 100% a year. Um, and they say, but they say, well, you know, these clients get loans, so they seem to be better off, and we certainly are better off with hundreds of millions of dollars profit win win in Grameen, you don't see, you don 't see anything um, that would look like the balance is being tilted toward Grameen uh, benefiting from the poor or Eunice benefiting from the poor. If anything, the balance is far 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 more tilted toward toward the poor than 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 Grameen. I, you know again they they They're literally, they literally should be, of of the large institutions, they're the last that should be accused of uh, doing harm. There's a lot more out there that should be asking themselves, you know, we should always be um, looking for that balance and asking ourselves if we can improve and do a little bit better. When you're selling something to the poor, when you're making profit off the poor, you should always be in my opinion, <laughs> uh, you should always be, um, you're walking a really fine line. Um, and, you got, and you should always be asking yourself, are you doing the best job possible? Or is there something more you can do? And I think Grameen has, uh, again, in, just in the experiences I've had with them over the many years, um, they've asked those, themselves that question. And whenever, I <laughs> would almost add, whenever possible, they've erred on the side of the poor instead of erred on the side of you know, the sustainability, i.e. profitability of the business.
0: That was very articulate. Question about why the government, who owns 4% of Grameen, for example, is able at 4% to take over and kick the founder out and the leader and the pioneer in the entire field. How was that able to happen in a banking institution? I don't I, get well, it.
1: Yeah, well, it, did, it, did, it wasn't the, the – um, again, for everything I know, um, it, and I've seen the votes on the board, the bo- they, they own three spots on the board of 12, um, and that's because the back when Grameen was uh converted into a bank, they owned twenty five percent of the shares so um but the but the clients have bought more shares, so the clients now are up to ninety six but the government still has three board spots now the it was not um the um Eunice's oust out what's the word outster out <laughs> kicking him out <laughs> whatever that word might be um was not a board decision in fact, the board has voted. To retain him, it's it's a legality. Um, there is some law somewhere in the in the finance in the Ministry of Finance that says that you cannot be the um, general manager or CEO of a of financial bank once you've reached the age of sixty. Okay, now um, Eunice is seventy one. Okay, for eleven years. They let him continue to run it Every, they all knew he was more than sixty. They let him run the bank. It was only only over the last six months where where the prime minister um, and she seems to be extremely heavily involved in this um, you know vo- verbally attacking Grameen and attacking Yunus. so they 're sort of like looking for looking for um, some legality and they, and then they dust off that law that they've never applied for 11 years and they say, Oh, Eunice, um, by the way, you're too old to run Grameen. You must step down. And that's literally, that's, that's all they've done now is say you're 71 and you need to step down. And that, here's something of an irony, I think. Um, that, that the, 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 um, press conference where they announced that, uh, it was the Minister of Finance who's 77 years old. And runs the Ministry of Finance for the entire country saying, saying, you know, I'm 77, I'm the Minister of Finance, but you're 71, you're 71, and anyone over the age of 60 isn't, isn't allowed, isn't judged, uh, and I'm filling in a little bit of the blanks here, um, judged, uh, at the level of competency to run a bank. Okay? So you're too old to run a bank at 60. I happen to be 77, and I'm running an entire country of uh, finance department. So, so it's, a, again, every, all the evidence and again, everything that people are talking about, it all seems, um, pretty clear that this is being pulled out simply as a way to, um, kick Eunice out to some degree, uh, diminish his stature. Um, and I think you might know, we haven't mentioned it in this interview, but, but, um, Eunice did um, some years ago maybe four four or five years ago form a political party to run against the prime minister. Um, she won, um, but you know that uh, by you know that's uh, the fact is Eunice um, is something of a a political adversary who publicly says the current government is not serving the needs of the poor um, the 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 poor in Bangladesh are not do not have the best government in place and um when you know when you're saying that, and the head of a bank, um, politicians might at least a certain percentage of them um, are going to be very likely looking for ways to uh, diminish your standing in the eyes of the, uh, eyes of the eyes of the citizens.
0: In the BBC News, they had written that the prime minister accused Dr. Yunus of treating Grameen Bank as his personal property and claimed that it was sucking blood from the poor. And so, this is a pretty hostile thing. You don't speak like this unless you're trying to demonize somebody and have them fall from grace and their whole reputation killed really.
1: Yeah. And and, and again, you know, there's no, there's no money that no no money ever went out of, (laughs) out of the client's pockets and, and into Eunice's pockets or other Grameen pockets. Uh, It's, it's, it's virtually a cooperative 96% owned by, by the clients, right? Uh, It was set up with uh, the purest of intentions uh, run, run in a you know something of a squeaky clean manner, and and there are literally, I mean, there are even in Bangladesh alone, there are 100, uh, 100 institutions that are far that on every single one of those uh, checklist criteria that you might go through to say, you know, are they are they treating the poor properly, and how much money are they making off the poor? Any of those criteria, the other ninety nine <laughs> um, uh, would um, get a lower score. Um, lower score, most of them, most of them. I, you know, I haven't run the score on all 100, but, but um, you know, by you know, the prices they're charging and the profit levels they're making and the ownership structure they have, um, and among other criteria, Grameen is is um, has been is it's let's let's use a new word. I'd say Grameen's is the most ideological institution. In, um, in microfinance, yes. if not uh, you know in, in Bangladesh, if not the entire microfinance world, ideology is um, Eunice's... Um, um, That's
0: his whole paradigm. It's the whole purpose and raison d'être of Gramina. Now, what do you think is going to happen with the name? Why should they be able to keep the name? That name is an asset in and of itself. It is filled with goodwill. It is imbued with his energy and consciousness and love and attention and focus and now they're hijacking not only the institution but the name what can well, do? I'm not
1: sure I, I haven't I haven't yet seen any anything definitive that that the government is taking over the bank um they're requiring a new CEO and units um has said and I mean it's almost logical you're 71 um you eventually look for a successor and he said um uh, we are looking for a successor we need a bit of time um uh, i can't just leave you know like tomorrow um needs i think i've heard um
0: Well he's gone now.
1: Yeah well yeah but then but then you know then uh, a new ceo is brought in that that doesn't mean that the bank they may go to a flat interest rate, right? They, um, they may. I mean, you know, they may. They may. Um, the organizational culture. They may start sucking. They might really start sucking blood out of the poor, where for thirty some years they never have. Um, but you know, that's a that's a risk. Even if even if the government weren't involved, that's true. Any 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 replacement, and even with Eunice there doesn't mean. That I mean you know I, I run an institution and, and not not anymore <laughs> near the size of Grameen, but I know that not every decision that gets implemented is is my, and i 'm proud of this it 's not my decision it 's the team you put together the the values and the culture consciousness um, that, that you permeate the institution with and Grameen has some i don 't know probably about forty or fifty thousand employees, um, so you put one new person let 's say the government. Um, Pulls out um, you know the the most profit minded <laughs> and again wouldn 't it be ironic to actually put somebody in there that actually did start sucking blood out of the poor um, you know as a government appointee, but even if you put one person there, the other forty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine employees going to let that person do it <laughs> you know i think I think the key is that over decades of building the right values that always decisions made at all levels are made around. Foundational principles, um, and they do that all the way down to the clients. You know, the 18 principles, or 16 or 18 principles, that they that every one of their their millions of clients memorize these principles and re- recite them every week. Um, the staff, I'm sure, do something of the same. That they have staff principles that they all know. They're ingrained. They're expected to practice them. So you put one person in at the top. You can't change. You certainly can't change that overnight. It will take a while in fact i don't in fact i believe that i i believe in the organizations that I've worked with um the culture basically remains uh, you, you you can change even the top you know the entire top office not uh, just the person um but the 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 uh, the, the momentum of the organizational culture uh, continues on
0: indeed what's next for you and how does this shake up with Grameen and dr Yunus Does it impact what you're doing other than being a model of something that's happening? How does it change your work? Does it change your work?
1: Well, um, you know, we, in in the, you know, I work in a lot, in a lot of different areas, of microfinance, as you were um, commenting at the beginning, but, uh, but in the area of pricing transparency, our task is, is um, so important and, and it's actually, you know, it's getting larger. Um, Here's, here's a way to kind of summarize this is that for decades, We ourselves didn't even really... We didn't do these price conversions. We didn't do the APRs. We didn't really know what price we were charging. We just knew the figures we kind of threw out. Um, One, we made... Rapid and necessary progress over the last three years to understand calculate and understand what prices we really are charging and we 've done very well at that but but now the the the, the next imp- very important task is to educate to understanding what those pr- why those what those prices mean and 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 why they are what they are okay so that when we say, for example, oh, well, like you said, oh, Grameen used to charge 14. Well, was it 14 flat or was it a 14 an APR? Uh, now they're charging 20. So do we, um, you know, your listeners are concluding Grameen raised their prices. Well, um, I would, I would almost bet, well, I would bet, <laughs> I would, I would almost be certain <laughs> that, in fact, the price, the 20 that we're seeing now is lower than the 14 you saw in 19, um, or in two thousand three
0: based on what you've explained, I do get that now yeah, yeah, I do get that now, but boy, is it misleading to just hear the number because you don't know the number inside of what arrangement
1: right and and this is again uh, sadly my <laughs> I say sadly uh, my institution and and me uh, i'm're um, we're, 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 uh, um, we're in great need to help to educate. And this is where I'm going with this. Well, now that we see what true prices are, now we must do the harder, daunting task of educating about what those prices are, because guess what? The, the Grameen, I mean, you were kind of shut, expressed some dismay that Grameen is charging the poor 20%.
0: Yeah. And by the way, and I love Eunice and I love what he did. So that dismay is simply because I'm listening only to the number, but you provided the context in which the number is living in.
1: Right, so now, now, but guess what? I mean, so far, now you just say, well, 20 is lower than the others, and 20 is certainly lower than Mexico, so 20 seems high, but at least it's lower than others, but we still haven't asked the question, why do we charge 100% in Mexico? Why do we charge 40% in India? Why does Grameen charge 20%? Uh, these are poor people. How can they pay even 20%, let alone 100%? And that's, that's, that's a very hard... It's a, there, there are... There are good, solid answers to those, but they, but they're, they're, they're not, they're non-intuitive. Okay. Let's, um, maybe the best way, let's take the 20%. Okay. Okay. Me, that's good. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's say, okay. Uh, are they, are, is Grameen really sucking the blood out of the poor when they loan a, a loan a woman, a hundred dollars at 20% annual interest rate. Okay. Let's do the math. Um, the Grameen loans are one year long. They're weekly payments loans. They have weekly meetings, 52 meetings, and the loan officer, Grameen, goes and meets with that woman and collects a, a small payment of a dollar and something and spends some time with that person. Now, okay, let that $100, let's say the woman has an average balance over the whole year of $100. She's paying $20 in interest for the entire year. Okay, that's 20%. So the woman gets an average balance of $100 for, gets to use that $100 for a whole year, and that's a lot of money for her. In return, she pays $20 in income to Grameen. That means Grameen gets about 35, I don't know, less than 50 cents a week to monitor that loan. Okay, so Grameen, how rich did Grameen get (laughs) by making $20 of income and then having to, to work with that woman 52 times over the course of a year they didn't make a whole they they didn't get a whole lot of profit did they right um here but and 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 the woman um she says well you know this is a hundred dollar loan i can put that in my business and i can turn that over i can buy goods and then i can sell sell my uh you know sell what what my business manages and i can make i can make um um, well, she makes probably let 's say a dollar a day okay uh, with a hundred dollars um, of working capital she can make about a dollar a day of income so she made three hundred dollars in that year. she pays twenty of those three hundred dollars in interest and she st- she still has nearly a dollar a day um, for which doesn 't sound like again doesn 't sound like much does but right, it 's all,
0: all relational, relational.
1: <laughs> it 's all relational right so so it, here's here 's where the interest rate of 20% on $100 is extremely fair and extremely affordable. If you move that up to 100000 like go to anyone in the world, let alone Bangladesh, if you make a $100,000
0: loan. Wait, before you go there, I just wanted to say something. Yeah. The other neat thing about the way it's done is it's really done on a cash flow basis. When you're paying over a year, right? Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's paying, she's paying a little bit of a principal and a little bit of interest. Again, it's uh, it's about, um, you know, she's paying about $2 a week.
0: I think that if it's done on a cash flow basis, it also makes it easier, even if the perceived cost of the loan is high.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, you know, here's another way. I mean, you know, let's look, let's use a little hypothetical mind game. We can say, well, what if I were going to loan you $100 per year? My cost would be lower if I just give you $100 and I ignore you for 364 days, and then I knock on your door and say, give me 120 bucks, okay? Now, you know, and hopefully, you know, you're still around, (laughs) I can find your house, and you remember the loan, and if so, I made $20 income for a minimum of work. Right. But... You know Grameen is meeting with you every single week fifty two times instead of just one time, and they 're still only making twenty dollars okay so again you're, when you look at the the delivery costs and and we 're not even talking about sort of the the social the training and the and the motivation and the encouragement that are built into these group meetings um, that twenty dollars of Cost for the loan, it's really not $20 of cost for a loan. It's $20 of cost for a $100 loan with a variety of other, um, empowerment and literacy literacy building services, right? So you're getting, you're getting, um, you know, in this case, I mean, you know, if you're a woman in Bangladesh with one of those loans, you're getting a lot for your money. Um, I would argue in Mexico, Nigeria, a few other countries, um, you're getting, (laughs) where you're paying, um, over 100% interest, um, and getting, and honestly getting less, you're, you're, you're barely getting a loan. You're, you're not, you're not getting those other value added services at a much higher cost. Those, those governments should be, um, asking some hard questions of the MFIs. Okay. Um, the irony is that again, go go back to, I mean, it's, it's sad how upside down the world is, um, many times, but you know, the, 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 um, noblest, squeakiest, cleanest institution is the one that's being uh, raked over the coals, and the ones that have made um, a lot of money and continue to make a lot of money are under the radar. Nobody's paying attention to them. You are. Yeah, <laughs> and and honestly, I mean that's what you know our our organization is to go. We go out there and we get the data on everybody, and so then we now you know now you really know what everyone's charging. Not everyone, but the countries we go to twenty twenty some countries. Um, you can then see the prices you're um, charging. Now here, this value of the the concept of transparency is it's sort of a magical, amazing thing. Um, if nobody knows what price you're charging, if I'm if I run an MFI, nobody really knows what price I'm charging. I don't have to give a whole lot of thought to it. I can be pretty lazy. I can just pick a price out of the hat, and I can make it a little on the high side just to make sure that my staff are happy because we got, we're kind of doing real well on money, and the clients don't really know I'm charging them a pretty high price, right? Now, uh, darn, this organization comes, MF Transparency, and puts up the true prices of everyone in India. And then guess what? In India, then they say, and they ooh, they say, oh boy, um, we're, uh, we're higher than the average. Um, I guess we have to think harder about our price. We're going to lower our price. So transparency of information um, necessitates better, more careful decision-making by business owners.
0: Right. I think it's great. I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One is, what if the countries don't want to provide the information and data to you, and how would that manifest itself?
1: Yeah, um, no, excellent questions. Uh, we we're um, we're a U.S. based nonprofit. We have staff around the world right now, and we go in. And what we do is we go in and we facilitate this as a voluntary um, demonstration of what we call responsible behavior, responsible business practice. So um, I'll give you an example. Last last month, we went into the Philippines to start, and uh, there are there are a couple of hundred institutions in the Philippines and they pretty much all came to our meetings. We had um, 200 people at our, at our meetings. In Manila, we had 110 people sit, sit in a room for six hours to talk about pricing transparency. Now, here's, here's what I think is think very important, is that all those institutions, n- like none of them, are showing the true price. They're not doing the Grameen thing yet, because if they said our price is much higher than we said, and our price is much higher than what everyone else is advertising, um, we look bad, so they're all feeling trapped, okay? What we do is we come and we say, we will facilitate this with you. We'll work with all of you all at once. You give us your data. We'll collect, we'll calculate the true price, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep that confidential for a, a handful of months until we have everyone's data, and then we show everyone's true price all at once on a specified date. So then the institutions say, well, that sounds... That sounds reasonable. You know, we can do this together. We can do together what we are um, afraid to do alone, right? That's so we right. create that enabling environment and the protection. They give us the data confidentially, and we don't tell anyone their price until we can put it into the market context. So then we say... In you know three months, we say and here 's the prices that all the mfis in the in the Philippines are charging and now you can see everybody 's price in the context of the market price okay so that 's how we um, you know this is how we get very high participation rates um, again, dozens of years, decades that institutions have chosen to not to tell true prices or uh, been trapped into not being able to trail true prices, we flip that decades of practice, we flip it around in a, ha- in a couple of months and get true prices put up for everyone um, all at the same time, to, and, uh, and that then the vast majority of those institutions uh, say, you know, breathe something of a sigh of relief. They, they, they're doing what they know they should do, which is be honest about their pricing, but we have now created a, an ability for them to be able to do that with... Um, Without being um, harmed like Grameen, you know the, so kind of going back to you know the Grameen thing on one it, it raises question, "Oh my gosh, if we actually tell our true prices, they 'll look high okay? but um, uh, that 's a potential um, concern for some, but when we go in country by country and we do it for the whole country at once, then we can say um, this this uh, this um reduces the chance of you being singled out by a newspaper article that claims you're charging a high rate when uh without knowing what the context of the market rate is. So this rapid conversion like we did in India where we where we now everybody can see everyone else's prices in India, we don't have that in Bangladesh yet. So Grameen's 20% looks high when it's not. Um Grameen suffered, I would, I would kind of conclude, by by being unfortunately, in a country that doesn't practice transparent pricing, so their price looked higher than it was, where um, SKS or anybody in India, you can see now their prices relative to the market. And uh, Philippines, in some months, you'll be able to see everybody's price relative to the market. That information in context will um, theoretically and I think uh, realistically lead to better decision-making.
0: I agree. I have another question, which is, and this is going to seem like it should be an obvious answer, but it's not so obvious when it comes to banking and microfinance per se. How do you perceive that you transferred the trust sufficient for these lending institutions in microfinance to trust you to facilitate this? How did you create the ground of trust?
1: Okay, um, no I, excellent questions. Um, we one, um, I have, I have some. You know it's a combination of factors so i i' I'm, I'm personally one of those factors um, I've worked in the industry I've been a leader in the industry for over twenty five years and thousands thousands of people in the institu- industry have been trained by me and use my software to develop their business plans and In my software, they set their price and in my software, they calculate their profit okay so they know that I've been for decades here working with them so to help To help strengthen their abilities okay i 'm um, on their side. I understand their their situation and i 'm on their side. Um, then i am um, asked by a large group of people to help found microfinance transparency. Now microfinance transparency also has a high degree of trust um, um, not just so it 's a combination of me and the institution why the does why the institution um, convey trust? We have um, over we have over 700 endorsers, um, people and institutions that have signed their names, saying um, that MF trans that pricing transparency is necessary and important, and that we should all be doing it. So when we go in the Philippines, and and who are those 700 names? They're the funders, the ratings agencies, government uh, government officials. So when we go in the Philippines, and 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 the MFIs themselves, right? So we go in the Philippines and we say, look, um, look who, look at all the. Important people, names you know, you look down that list and you know almost every single name, they're all in favor of us working with transparency with you. So it's, you, you, know it's a, it's, you know it's something you should do. You, most of you know it's something it's, you want to do. You see that MF Transparency has the broad-based uh, support an endorsement of many hundreds of people d- dignitaries most of them in the industry and guess who's funding this project you know we also have our funding base for mf transparency is i think it's worth it's worth highlighting because our money comes from Mastercard Foundation Ford Foundation Luxembourg government Standard Charter Bank, Citibank Foundation, uh, Deutsche Bank Foundation, um, and, uh, you know, the list goes on, but these are, these are just the names I gave you um, are serious, serious commercial um, entities, right? They, and they're saying, so it's not, it's not, here's a way to say it, it, our funding doesn't come from some left-wingers that that think you should um, stop, screwing the poor, right? Our funding comes from commercial bank, commercial institutions that know that long-term responsible behavior includes being transparent about your price. They are obligated by the governments where they work, most of the governments where they work, to be honest about pricing, and they see that microfinance is not there yet there, and they believe strongly that moving rapidly toward transparent pricing is healthy for the industry, and they fund us to help to facilitate that transition to transparent pricing. So when we go in the Philippines, you've got, you know, that big long list of of, of important people, <laughs> let's call them, you know, well-known people endorsing us. You've got solid funders endorsing us. And oh, oh, one last thing, we've already done it in 20 other countries, and you're number 21, So when you do it in the 21st country, it's a lot easier than doing it in the first country, right?
0: That's very, very clear. And now I have one last question for you. And that is, how do you as MFTransparency.org and you as Chuck Waterfield verify that the microfinance institutions are giving you truthful numbers and not a concoction so that you're posting transparent figures what is your verification process like? Talk about it, if you would.
1: Right, yeah. Um, the, you know, before, way before we even created the uh, Microfinance Transparency, we were asking, we're brainstorming with, with the industry. How can, you know, should we collect this, the prices and publish them? Yes. But how are you going to know that, um, you know, uh, literally we would have CEOs come up and say, you know, I'll give you, you know, we're going to give you true prices, but I know a few people in this room are not going to give true prices. How can we, and so we, how can we, how can we minimize and eliminate that? Uh, the strategy we came up with is um, we use, uh, I, like, I kind of like this analogy. Uh, you know, we're asking the MFA, MFIs to be transparent on their pricing, but we warn them very clearly, everything you give us is transparent. Everything you give us will end up on the website. We don't just ask you, in Grameen's case, for example, we don't just say, oh, you charge 20%. In Grameen's case, we got dozens of repayment schedules, real repayment schedules out of women's pockets and made uh, scanned pictures of them, okay? Uh, we then, and we do that with every institution, we get real loan repayment schedules from real clients, and we calculate, we use that to calculate the same formula. It's actually exactly, exactly the same formula used in the United States, um, when, when you go and get a loan, the bank must apply the standard formula and tell you the APR. So we calculate the APR off real loans, going to real clients, and we get real repayment schedules, and then we post not only the results on our website, we put up the actual repayment schedules themselves. Why? Because some institution might fabricate repayment schedules.
0: I was just going to say, can you... Select the timing of the loan payments to say like "I want to see januarys Junes Aprils, and whatever, and how do you know that they 're not forging it right uh, well
1: one we do we do we do first look at what their product is and then we say we we want these speci- specific samples all the loans have to have gone out in the last two months so we're getting current prices, not last year 's prices, and we look for a range of of different criteria so we say give us some samples from those um they could um and in theory some institution out there might be tempted to fabricate you know okay well i'll just make up a repayment schedule from last month okay now what we do i mean we clearly (laughs) we clearly tell them this be careful (laughs) any mistakes or lies if you give us a false False repayment schedule. Let me walk you through the steps. We're going to calculate a low price, and we're going to put up the low price. We're also going to put up that repayment schedule on our website. And anyone in the world, including um, your staff, okay, your competitors, investigative journalists, and the government uh, are going to be looking at your price, and they're going to be drilling down and looking at the repayment schedules that you submitted. Your staff and your competitors, for example, are going to say, gee, that price I know that price is lower than what they really charge. Drill down, look at the repayment schedule, compare it, then go out and visit any one of your thousands of clients and see a different repayment schedule, and and, and then um, then you're you're caught. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So what we say is is that um, any false information might get through our. And we have some we have some decent internal screens, but if it gets through our screens and onto the website. Um, it won't stay there for long before, again, because of transparency and sort of communal vigilance. Uh, right. uh, that somebody's going somebody's gonna to challenge you. And, w- and this actually does happen. We get contacted by institutions or by people, and they say so-and-so's price is not right. And then we contact so-and-so and we, when we dig into it. So, um, again, we, we say that this is how – we don't do it because we distrust anybody necessarily. We do it because it helps build a higher level of confidence and trust in the data that you see. Because otherwise, if you don't know, if we didn't practice such excessive, might argue, <laughs> or, or detailed in, um, authentication procedures, you might suspect that some or most are lying. Now, we can, with confidence, say that um, if anyone's lying, they won't be lying for long because um, we'll catch them. <laughs> okay? yeah, And that, and that, that, that creates... Um, a better sense of, um, of accurate um, um, of um, confidence in the data that you're seeing.
0: I'm very excited about what you do, what you're doing, what you have been doing, and I so appreciate you bringing us on the inside of this because there's been a whole inner world to microfinance that those on the outside we haven't had access to. Besides the contextual understanding and the conceptual understanding that Dr. Eunice has explained and the model. But it's all about what happens on the inside and the dynamics and verifying the details and what protocols are different and what are the processes that are used. And this really makes me feel a lot better about it. And the fact that you have the organization that you do, it just gives me peace that the attention to details and the arrangements and the way people are practicing microfinance, they have a stellar level to rise to.
1: Yeah. well, you know i mean uh, the, and that's I think these are very good closing comments um the the um, you know four four or five years ago four years ago i I was at something of a crisis. a lot of us were um, we had spent decades helping to build a noble double bottom line social business global industry to help the poor um, we had now the the precarious the dangers uh, moving toward the um, the sustainable, profitable business for the poor, how far do you move toward profit before you become uh, before you its user positive impact and um, now here 's the key I, mean, I think I argue this is the key. We got so successful that we, we, we draw, started drawing in a, an entirely new cadre of um, of uh, actors okay um, and they 're not breaking any laws they 're actually doing perfect textbook business practice, which is um, maximize your profit, okay? All this um, balance and, and being concerned for the poor, um, you know, there's not too many businesses that have that um, prominent or anywhere in their in their materials. It's about selling product and, um, max- and setting the highest price you can, keeping your costs as low as possible, charging a high price you can, maximizing profit. And that's what we see of a small but growing uh, movement in microfinance. So now, what do we do? Do we say, well, we, do we give up? We got sort of taken over by commercial mindsets? Or while we are still the majority, and we are, can we use majority power to um, to encourage and um, sort of um, um, obligate um, those with purely commercial interests? To back things off a little bit, okay, or, or at a minimum, at a minimum, these are many. There are many efforts underway on this right now, of which we're involved in a number of them. Is to certify the those that are double bottom line versus those that are just uh, coming to microfinance because it's a new market and you can get you can make a good tidy profit. So so that's 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 where we're that's where we're at, and MF transparency is just one of of a number of initiatives that are are making really. Solid and important progress on that, and again, we can do it because um, those of us, the gray, the graying ones among us, like the Unices, <laughs> uh, um, that have been here when the original vision values were different, can work to establish to, to to not have that foundation of values and vision erode as the new new entrants come in.
0: You're so articulate it 's such a pleasure to talk with you today and is there anything you 'd like to say in closing
1: i 'm just really inspired um, by the the level of interest that people have in in getting beyond sound bites <laughs> and to spend an hour trying to learn more about something that um, that they would find it important enough and that, and, and that they, would, they would be curious enough to to want to understand it more uh, we 're I think um, turning into a world that 's been dominated by sound bites, and we 're still suffering the consequences, not just microfinance at all the whole <laughs> the whole of co- <laughs> civilization <laughs> yes, is, is being eroded by um, sound bite simplicity, and things are always everything, including microfinance, including pricing everything is much more complicated and deserves and needs the needs more in-depth attention that that the kind of vehicles that that like your like your show give us access to so i really appreciate you contacting us and um and the the questions you asked were were um were uh, you got you really were able to drill right to the the key points so i appreciate it